A dark night in the garden. The wind was picking up now, blowing clouds across the moon, shrouding the garden in darkness. Stay up with me, Jesus asked his friends. They said yes and waited under the olive trees, but they were tired and soon they fell asleep. Jesus walked ahead alone into the dark. He needed to talk to his heavenly father. He knew it was time for him to die. They'd planned it long ago, he and his father. Jesus was going to take the punishment for all the wrong things anybody had ever done or ever would do. Papa, Father, Jesus cried, and he fell to the ground. Is there any other way to get your children back, to heal their hearts, to get rid of the poison? But Jesus knew there was no other way. All the poison of sin was going to have to go into his own heart. God was going to pour into Jesus' heart all the sadness and brokenness in people's hearts. He was going to pour into Jesus' body all the sickness in people's bodies. God was going to have to blame his son for everything that had gone wrong. It would crush Jesus. But there was something else, something even more horrible. When people ran away from God, they lost God. It was what happened when they ran away. Not being close to God was like a punishment. Jesus was going to take that punishment. Jesus knew what that meant. He was going to lose his father and that, Jesus knew, would break his heart in two. Violent sobs shook Jesus' whole body. Then Jesus was quiet, like a lamb. I trust you, Papa, he said. Whatever you say, I will do. Suddenly, through the trees, a glitter of starlight flashed of steel. Into the quiet garden came whispers, muffled voices, clanking metal, and the sound of boots marching. Jesus stood up. He woke his friends. Now is the time, he said gently. Everything that was written about me, what God has been telling his people all through the long years, it's all coming true and into the night, with burning torches and lanterns, with swords and clubs and armour, they came, an army of soldiers. Judas led them straight to Jesus so they could arrest him. Jesus was waiting for them. Peter leapt up, took a sword, and tried to defend Jesus. He sliced off a guard's ear. And Jesus immediately touched the guard and healed him. Peter, he said, this is not the way. Peter didn't realize that no army, no matter how big, could ever arrest Jesus. Not unless Jesus let them. Then Jesus, who had never done anything except love people, was arrested as if he were a criminal. Jesus' friends were afraid. So they ran away and hid in the dark shadows. The guards marched Jesus off and took him to the leaders. 
the leaders put Jesus on trial. Are you the Son of God? they asked. I am, Jesus said. Who do you think you are to call yourself God? You must die for calling yourself the Son of God. Only the Romans were allowed to kill prisoners, so the leaders made a plan. We'll tell the Romans, this man wants to be our king, and then they will crucify him. But it would be all right. It was God's plan. It was for this reason that I was born into the world, Jesus said. Good morning, and we uh, again welcome you this morning, Fellowship Bible Church, especially down in Gap 3. Glad you're joining us down there and online as well. In his book entitled A Cry of Absence, Reflections on the Winter of the Heart, church historian Martin Marty uh, shares the agony, the, the loneliness, the darkness, the pain of losing his wife of many years, his wife Elsa, uh, to cancer. And uh, in, that, in those days and those weeks, the, 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 the pain and the trouble of, uh, of loss, Marty lamented and said this, Why, O oh God, after a remission of disease, is it allowed to come back relentlessly until malignant cells kill? Why, O hidden one? Why, O silence? Why, O absence? When the cry is most intense, is the silence most stunning? The passionate heart searches for answers. Martin Marty was in good company, like Job, for instance. Job 13, 24. Why do you hide your face and Consider me your enemy. Or King David in Psalm 77, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Or the prophet Jeremiah, he has driven me away. He has made me walk in darkness rather than light. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Or any number of followers of Jesus down through the centuries, like, like the old divine St. John of the Cross, who wrote in his moment of darkness, that classic Christian work, The Dark Night of the Soul. The Dark Night of the Soul. It was a dark night in the garden. And no woman or man who has ever lived, who has experienced their dark night of the soul, could ever come close to the agony and the pain and the, the darkness in the soul that our Lord Jesus went through that night in the garden. Luke chapter 22, verse 44 says, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way, 
In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. His dark night of the soul can never, uh, never fully be understood. I mean, there is no way that any of us could ever understand the depth of the darkness, of the loneliness, of the agony that Jesus went through that night in the garden. I mean, we, we've had our own, but it, it can't compare to what Jesus was going through that night in his Gethsemane. Uh, we, could, we, could, we could stop this sermon right here, and maybe, and maybe we should do that sometimes and take the next 30 minutes and just contemplate what, what, what Jesus was going through in silence, just meditate on the, the agony, crying loudly, sweating as it were drops of blood. Why such great agony? Why the struggle? Why the, the darkness in the garden that night? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to, to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 1. The beginning of the chapter, Luke 22, verse 1, we read that the Feast of Unleavened Bread was at hand, which is called Passover, and it was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And verse 3 says, And Satan entered Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to to the number of the twelve. Satan shows up with a vengeance in Luke chapter 22. The powers of darkness are in full force in Luke chapter 22. Jump down to verse 31. Remember this passage? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. By the way, the, the second person pronoun there has requested to sift you like we that's a plural simon simon the 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 devil has asked to sift you the disciples all of you like wheat but then he goes to the singular pronoun and and he focuses on peter but verse 32 i have prayed for you peter that your faith may not fail and you when you've turned again strengthen your brothers Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison, to death for you. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you even know me. The powers of darkness are at work. Uh, In fact, apart from Jesus' prayer for the disciples, they would have been destroyed by the evil one that night. The, the seriousness of, of this moment is highlighted further, I think, uh, in the next little section, starting at verse 35. Um, he said to them, When I sent you out without a money belt and a bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, No, no, nothing. And Jesus is referring back to Luke chapter 9 and 10, when uh, he sent out the disciples and uh, they went uh, town to town and they didn't take any money with them or any food or 
anything else, and they were w uh, wildly successful. Um, I mean, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, they come back and report to Jesus, and he said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They went home to home, town to town, and, and it was an amazing experience. And they come back excited, they're pumped, they're spiritually energized. Even the demons obeyed us because of your name. But Jesus continues there in verse 36, and notice the strong uh, conjunction. It's, it's an adversative conjunction. But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it. Things are different, Jesus says, but now you better take a money belt, likewise your bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and, and buy one. What? <laughs> Verse 37, for I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And the disciples said, verse 38, Lord, look, here, we've got two swords. And he said, enough, it is enough. You, by the way, you read commentaries uh, and scholars on this passage, and you'll find that it is one of the most troubling passages in the New Testament. I mean, hey, we, we've got two swords. Sell your coat and go buy a sword, because things are going to be different now. You went out before and people welcomed you and they fed you and, and uh, they, demons were subject to you. But things are going to be different now. You better take your money, you better take extra food and sell a coat and grab a sword. Hey, we've got two of them. It is enough. Like, is Jesus saying, um, all right, okay, Peter, you grab one sword, you take the first wave of J Roman soldiers. Uh, John, uh, grab the other sword, you take the next wave of Roman soldiers that are coming. No, I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all. We know that wasn't the heart of Jesus. He will chastise Peter in just a few moments, who took one of those swords and lopped off Malchus's ear, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus healed it again. Now, what Jesus is saying is telling, in no uncertain terms, disciples, things are going to be different now. You're going to be going out in a world that is not going to welcome you. They're not going to feed you. They're not going to take care of you. Demons are not going to be subject to you like they once were. The powers of darkness are in full force. And you better watch yourself. You better have a sword for protection. I think that's what Jesus is saying, metaphorically referring to taking care of themselves because the days are now evil like never before. He says, it is enough. Um, I'm not sure what Jesus meant by that. Many writers will say, Jesus, what, the disciples didn't get it. Hey, we've got two swords and... It, he just said, it is enough, like this conversation's over. That it was going right over once again the disciples' head. Chapter 22 is showing us that the powers of darkness, um, Satan and his, and his hordes are in a full court press. 
against Jesus. There is the seen world, there's the unseen world. There's the visible world, there's the invisible world. And the unseen and the invisible world, that realm, that, that Passover night, where the forces and darkness were being arrayed against Jesus, it was like, it was like never before. If you remember, a number of weeks ago, we talked about the, um, temp- the first temptation of Jesus. After he was baptized, he went out in the wilderness. And for 40 days, he fasted, and then Satan comes, and that was Satan's attempt to derail Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. Turn, turn the stone. I know you're hungry. Turn the stones to bread. Take care of yourself. Um, worship me, and, and all this domain, all the, the, the nations of the world will be yours for their mind to give. Jump down from the pinnacle of the temple and wow the crowds. Think of yourself, Jesus. Take care of yourself. Not attempt to derail Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, but to no avail for Satan. Jesus responds three times with the power of the scriptures, and Satan left a defeated foe. And Luke chapter 4, verse 13 says, He left until another opportune time would come. Well, Luke 22 is the opportune time. Let's pick up the story there in verse 39. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 and 40. And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Knowing the power of darkness, knowing the, 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 that Satan and his hordes were in full uh, attack mode. He said, pray. pray. He had taught them that. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is is in heaven. But he said, and, and pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the, and the darkness that night was so palpable that the, the stench of death was so real, he says to his disciples, pray. Pray. Verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he, he knelt down and began to pray. And he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. That happened at the first temptation as well, in the wilderness. Verse 44, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and a sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Again, we, we will never fully understand what Jesus went through. We can read it and preach about it. We can contemplate it. We can meditate on it. We can think about it. We're into that season now in a few weeks as we come into our Good Friday services, as we'll announce in a moment, and, and, and Easter. But we, we can never 
fully understand what Jesus must have been going through. To be spared from Roman crucifixion? Lord, if possible, this, remove this cup. Was that what, it, what he was praying? To avoid the torturous death? Well, we know that wasn't the case. You know, women and men down through the centuries of time have faced torturous death and done it with clenched fists and locked jaw and, and faced it. No, that was not the problem our Lord was dealing with. That was not the agony, the darkness of his soul that night. As we know, I think that the cup was not the physical death that was approaching. It was that, it was that spiritual death, that spiritual separation. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He who knew no sin became sin. He knew that on the cross, the sin of the world was going to be placed on him. He was going to die to pay the penalty for our sin. Uh, but the real pain in his soul, the real agony in his soul was what would take place in that moment that payment is being made. And he would utter it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For in that moment, as our sin is placed on Jesus, he's being judged by his Father, who turns, as it were, his back, his righteous back, in judgment of his Son, who's paying for our sins and experiencing the full weight of the Father's scorn of sin. Our sin placed on Jesus. As we were reminded earlier, he said, this is my body and it's given for you. This cup is my blood and it's poured out for you to satisfy the wrath of God. The one who knew no sin was going to become sin in just a few short hours. Is there any other way, Father? You think of the Trinity who dwelt in um, perfect harmony. Think of, well, you can't, we can't think of it, but eternity passed. I mean, before there was ever time and creation. The God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit dwelling in perfect harmonious love a relationship that is undefinable. And now in this moment, this cup that Jesus would have to drink was separation from his Father. If there's any other way, Father, remove this cup. Well, make no mistake, the cosmic battle was being fully engaged by Satan. The stench of, of Satan and death was all over chapter 22 in this, this dark night in the garden. In the wilderness, it was uh, back there in chapter 4, at the beginning of his ministry, uh, take the stone, turn the bread, take care of yourself. Now, now the stakes were much higher. Satan knew this, as it were, was his maybe last chance 
to deter Christ from being that sacrificial payment. Save yourself, Jesus. Don't go through with it. Let your will be done, not the Father's. And Jesus, in his agony, prays fervently. And he enters into fellowship with his Father. But the victory was never in doubt, was it? The victory was never in doubt. Satan's defeat was sealed. And we know that when Jesus simply utters that little phrase, yet not my will, but thine be done. It was those words that sealed Satan's fate for all of eternity. The, the battle was enjoined at that moment in the darkness of the garden, but it, the victory was too. Not my will, but thine be done. And that put the, the nails in the coffin for Satan for all of eternity. Jesus' resolve was never in doubt. Father, it's not about me. It's about you. And being encouraged and strengthened by his father from that ministering angel, uh, Jesus arises from that agonizing battle of uh, that drew droplets of blood in his sweat. And he goes and ministers to his disciples. There's one more scene. Look at verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him, and Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest, cut off his ear, but Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And verse 52 says, Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay a hand on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. This hour and the power of darkness are yours. Uh, key words. You could have laid a hand on me for three years. You could have, you could have shoved me out over the, the cliffs and dashed me to pieces. But you did not. But now, this time of darkness is yours. Guess who was in control of the moment? The soldiers come with their swords, the chief priests, the temple guards. But guess who was in control? You have no power, but I give it to you. This hour is yours. Don't you love it? As Jesus willingly gives himself. 
Because, you see, he had been on his knees just a little bit before, and he said, not my will, but yours be done. Satan's defeat and Christ's triumph in the garden now ensures Satan's ultimate defeat and Christ's ultimate victory as he goes to the cross and he pays for our sins. And he dies in our place. Because that night in the garden, he was not deterred. When all the powers of darkness were arrayed against him, when it was a full court press, Jesus on his knees said, it's not about me, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was about fulfilling his mission. As Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7 says, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it's written of me, I've come to do your will, O God. And boy, did he. His mission was to accomplish the will of the Father, and no matter how hard Satan tried to change that, he was defeated. No matter how opportune the time was, it was impossible. Jesus was fulfilling the Father's will. In the hour of his greatest agony, Jesus was unmoved. He was unshaken from his mission. His sacrificial payment for man's sins was going to go forward. And they nailed him to a cross. He even said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he died to pay for our sins. Anybody here this week commit sin? I mean, have a thought that was less than godly? A, a, a misplaced word, an action, a, a deed that didn't measure up to the standard of God? Any, any liars here this morning who said that you lived a, pretty, a perfect week? Jesus paid for those sins this week. That which we committed this week, they were paid for by Jesus. The sins we're going to commit next week, they've been paid for. The sins we're going to commit 10 years from now, they're covered under the blood of Jesus. He died. He made the payment for our sins. He went through with it. Why? Because he did the Father's will, not his own, in that moment. And the agony of his heart and the dark night of his soul, he went through with it. And Satan is defeated. The hour of darkness was overcome and our sins were paid for. We can have the absolute assurance that if we put our trust in Christ and, and Him alone, that when we leave this life, we are immediately into the presence of, of our Savior. Because of His agony. So what does this battle, what does this agony in Gethsemane teach us? Well, I think, first of all, that we have an incredible example in Jesus to follow. Um, you know, what did Jesus do? Well, he, he got away, took a lonely place with friends, and he had them pray for him, and then he prays. And ultimately, in that dark night, it was not my will but yours be done. There's our example. 
Because either right now you are going through your Gethsemane, or you will be going through it, right? Or, and we'll go through it many times. A, a dark night of our soul when, um, when we come to a point where we feel like we can't spend another day in this marriage. And everything inside us screams to get rid of her. The dark night of our soul. Or a rebellious child that kind of reaches the point of seemingly no return. Or, or a financial crisis. Or you fill in the blank. A dark night. Um, Satan was defeated, but he's still on the prowl, as Peter tells us. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he and his minions are always looking for an opportune time in our lives. Confusion, fear, hopelessness, despair, anguish of the soul. And his tactics have never changed. We find ourselves in, in those moments of, of deep distress where we, we can't see the next step we're going to have to take. And, and he comes and he, and he whispers, save yourself. Take care of the situation. You know what to do. Do it. You've got brains. You can figure this out. A bad marriage? We have ways to deal with that. A rebellious little child? Strike him in anger. Raise your voice. Get mad. You know what to do. Show him who's boss. The loneliness of life. But pursue Pursue that, that cheap imitation, that illicit imitation. You'll feel good at least for a moment. Anything or anyone who, who would draw us to solve our own problems or that we seek to help solve our own problems as opposed to going to Him, watch out. He's on the prowl. And it was Jesus who gives us the example. On his knees in prayer and fellowship with the Father, and he says, not my will, but I want yours done. Father, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be honored. If possible, remove this cup, but it's not about me, it's about you. There's our example in our Gethsemane. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 50. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire among the brands you have set ablaze. And this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment.
Oh, how easy, isn't it, to light our own fire? To uh, try to figure it all out. And Isaiah warns, oh, be, be, be very, very careful. For it only brings greater torment. But he that fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant, even though they walk in the darkness, if they trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God, there will be great blessing. A second thing that I want us to walk away with this morning in keeping with our communion Sunday is to appreciate that Christ's battle in Gethsemane teaches not only the profound agony that he went through, that we will never fully understand at all. But it also underscores the profound love that Jesus had. Think about it. He did this for us because he loved us. There's not a person in this room that was worthy of it. Not a person who's ever lived in this world and that there, there, there he is, on his knees, sweating as it were, drops of blood and agony, crying out in the depths of the, the darkness of his soul. And he did it because he loved you and me. It's a profound thought that right now, God looks down from heaven and he, he sees us and he loves us with an everlasting love. He went through the agony and the dark night of his soul for me, for you. And it's a free gift that he gives us. The free gift of a relationship with him. That's why he did it. He, he loves us. He created us for fellowship with him. And he deeply desires that fellowship. And sin had separated us from God. It separates us from all eternity. But, he, but Jesus went to the cross to bridge that gap and he paid for our sins so that we don't have to pay for our own sins. He invites us into an everlasting relationship with Almighty God simply on the basis of his kindness and love and compassionate grace. He says, you don't have to do anything here. Here's the free gift. Believe it. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? It's the most important thing you could deal with. Right now, right now, today. Do you know that if you walk out of this building and dropped over dead in the parking lot, and I've said before, don't, don't do it in the parking lot. Wait till you get home. <laughs> but you drop over dead. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Well, we can know. Because it doesn't depend. If it depended on me, I would not know. I would not know. In fact, I was, I was coming to church this morning, listening to Christian radio, and a guy preaching, and my heart just broke for this guy because he said, I'm not sure I know where I will spend eternity. Why would you even put the guy on the radio? It, this, is, this, is, this happens all the time. 
but we can know because the issue that separates us from God has been taken care of. And he invites us to put our trust in Jesus and him alone. And in that moment of faith, when we transfer our faith off of ourselves and off our own good works and all our religiosity and we place it on Christ and him alone, in that moment of faith, we have everlasting life. Why? Because there was a dark scene in a garden 2,000 years ago where the God-man Jesus on his knees weeping and crying and sweating drops of blood said, not my will, but thine be done. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you will grant us the grace in the moment of our trials and darkness and those hours of maybe our own agony and the anguish of whatever life throws at us, our Gethsemanes. We will remember our Lord. He didn't minimize the pain that he was about to suffer, the, the separation from, from your heart. He anguished over it. He didn't cast it aside. He didn't say some trivial little statement to his disciples. He knew that the battle was real. The powers of darkness were very palpable. Pray, he said, pray. And he prayed. But he gave us that example that ultimately in his submissive, faith-filled heart, not my will, but thine be done. Thank you, Jesus, that that's what you said and you, you proved the veracity of that comment by in just a few hours going to the cross and fulfilling your mission to offer us eternal life to anyone who would put their faith in you. I would ask, Father, that if there's someone here this morning who is yet to put their faith in Jesus, that you would open their heart in this moment and that they would believe this good news. In Jesus' name I pray it.